to Tea Tonic and Toxin, a book club and podcast for anyone who wants to explore the best mysteries and thrillers ever written. I'm your host, Sarah Harrison. And I'm your host, Carolyn Daughters. Pour yourself a cup of tea, a gin and tonic, but not a toxin, and join us on a journey through 19th and 20th century mysteries and thrillers, every one of them a game changer. Ellen, I'm so excited today. Sarah, we have like a really amazing combo. We have The Nine Tailors by Dorothy Sayers, and we have Dan Drake talking about The Nine Tailors by Dorothy Sayers. I know. We've, we've, we've met Dan through the most interesting means, and I'm so excited that he's joining us mm-hmm. um, today. But before we get into our conversation with Dan, we do have a fabulous sponsor our sponsor is amazing i love this sponsor it's grace sigma grace sigma is a boutique process engineering consultancy run by sarah harrison what (laughs) grace sigma works nationally in such industries as finance telecom and government grace sigma uses lean methods to assist in data dashboarding storytelling training process visualization and project management Whether you're a small business looking to scale or a large company whose processes have become tangled, Grace Sigma can help. You can learn more at gracesigma.com. You can and you should. Mm -hmm. An amazing sponsor. Sarah, we also have a listener of the episode. I'm excited to hear about this listener. Who is it? It is Sharon Bialy. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. From Natick, Massachusetts. Awesome. I had to listen online to see how Natick is pronounced. So Sharon, let me know if uh, all the Webster's and all the dictionaries online and all that got it wrong. Uh, But we are thrilled that you are part of the Tetonic and Toxin book club and podcast. And you listeners can also be part of this book club and podcast just by listening. But you can also win an amazing sticker like Sharon's going to win. Yeah, Sharon, we're going to send you a beautiful, gorgeous sticker. I may have already mailed it to her. All right. Maybe you've already received it. Yeah. All you have to do is is comment on our website, which is tetonicandtoxin.com. You can comment on our Facebook or Instagram page at tetonicandtoxin. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can give the podcast five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. We are on all of them is my understanding. All of these various things are great entry points for getting a cool sticker and a shout out. Why wouldn't you want one? Mm-hmm. I am excited to introduce our guest today. This is Dan Drake, and he was born in Los Angeles two months after Pearl Harbor. A year or so after that, his family moved to the Bay Area, where he has lived since, with notably rare exceptions. Those exceptions being Portland, Oregon, where he took a degree in biology at Reed College, UC San Diego for studies in biology, and San Diego State. At UC Berkeley, he studied the newly renamed Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, where he earned an MS and worked at a couple of computerish jobs. In 1982, he and some very sharp programmers started a software company, for those fashionable new personal computers. You may have heard of them. I don't know what that is. (laughs) That venture succeeded and has gone on succeeding for 40 years under the same name, 
Autodesk. And if you haven't heard of Autodesk, look them up. Now, Dan's parents were Sherlock Holmes fans, and Dan grew up in a home filled with Holmesiana. <laughs> His father <laughs> belonged to a local affiliate of the Baker Street Irregulars, for which he wrote a few pieces of Sherlockian fan fiction. I'd love to read that. Dan found a book by Dorothy L. Sayers called Unpopular Opinions, and then he read Whose Body, which we read this uh, earlier this year as well. By good fortune, he read the Lord Peter Whimsey books more or less in order. Dan eventually joined a new news group dedicated to Lord Peter. When he learned about the Peter Whimsey companion, oh man, we didn't tell you yet about Dan's amazing notes mm. online. But unfortunately, when he learned about the Peter Whimsey companion, he gave up production of these beautiful notes. Dan also collects Serziana. And on a few occasions, he has attended conventions of the Dorothy L. Sayre Society in England, along with one held at Wheaton College in Illinois. Today, Dan lives in Mill Valley, California, under red redwood trees on a steep hillside with his wife of many years. He has two adult children. Dan, did we get all that correct? Yes, I think that's 100% right. <laughs> all right. Awesome. You've had a fascinating life and today dan is joining us to talk about the nine tailors before we jump into it for those of you that haven't read the nine tailors i just want to read a short synopsis um and then hopefully our conversation will build on that um if you haven't read the nine tailors honestly you really should um it's a fantastic book um, and if you haven't, we'll just still give you the synopsis. <laughs> so The Nine Tailors by Dorothy L. Sayers is actually the ninth mystery novel featuring her detective, Lord Peter Whimsey. The novel's title, The Nine Tailors, refers to the nine strokes of the passing bell rung for the deceased. The story begins when Whimsey's car breaks down in the small English village of Finchurch, St. Paul on New Year's Eve. Whimsy is asked to fill in as a bell ringer for the church's nine-hour peal, a lot of nines, a traditional ringing of the church bells. The plot takes a sinister turn when a body is found in a newly dug grave. Whimsy is drawn into a decades-old mystery, including a missing emerald necklace and a cryptic code within the church's ancient bell-ringing patterns. Dorothy Sayers' novel, The Nine Tailors, is a quintessential example of the golden age of detective fiction and is celebrated for its compelling plot, richly drawn characters, and its unique incorporation of the art of bell ringing into a murder mystery. Today, we're excited to talk about The Nine Tailors. It is our final book selection of 2023. I can't believe it. Mm -mm. It's also a holiday book, so, you know, celebrate mm -hmm. the holidays with it. You can find more information about all our 2023 and upcoming 2024 book selections ttonicandtoxin.com and on Facebook and Instagram at ttonicandtoxin. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss, miss an exciting episode. Welcome, Dan. So glad to have you. <laughs> glad to be on this. It's, I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah I can't. I gotta, I gotta tell our listeners how I found you because I'm still a little bit in disbelief. <laughs> so I was looking through... If, if our listeners recall or listen to the episode on Whose Body, um, there was so much in Whose Body, and I just felt like 
I was missing a lot of the references. <laughs> and I was out there Googling, trying to figure out like, what does he mean when he says this? What is he referring to when he says this? Um, and I came across this website and it had like exactly what I was looking for. It was going through whose body and kind of taking all the little quippy things chapter by chapter and all the references mm -hmm. and explaining them in the context of the time. It was absolutely the best resource um, I could find. And even though it wasn't updated since I think 2003, um, down at the bottom, it had an email address of the person posting uh, Dan Drake. And so I'd been thinking about it and thinking about things. I couldn't, what if we got this guy? I know it was like really updated a while ago, but maybe he's still at this email address. So I reached out to you, Dan, and you replied. <laughs> and you're like, even better. <laughs> then the, I'll post the website in the show notes so people can check it out, mm -hmm. especially any Whimsy fans that want to see some of these references from some of the books. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Dan, tell me a little bit about this website project and why you abandoned it and if you're ever going to take it up again. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult questions, some of them. Uh, I don't know what to tell about it. I got, I got very involved, obviously, with uh, the works of Sayers. And uh, uh, yes, and I too ran into a lot of stuff. I had a reasonable background, if only from Sherlock Holmes, but also about English stuff in general. Uh, some background in slang and whatnot, mm -hmm. but uh, I started following my inclination to look up stuff and uh, and uh, finally realized I should, uh, uh, well, yeah, and and I started putting this up just for the fun of it mm -hmm. uh, on, the, on the website. And uh, uh, you notice the, the, the address here, it's, it pays to be early. My, <laughs> my, my, my web web domain is named after me and i've had occasional uh occasional emails saying are you really using that thing well we'd like to have the dandruff.com mm. number and really? i never never wanted it there, there are other people that there's a surprising number of other people like with that name mm. but anyway uh, uh no no thank you gentlemen i'm not going to do it <laughs> so, so anyway i i put this up and uh posted started posting this stuff uh, and uh, using a strange bit of software I cobbled together with various kinds of free software mm -hmm. to get it formatted and all. And, uh, and, and then, and then I heard about the, uh, the Lord Peter group, which still exists. We may talk about that later, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, uh, is a discussion group, a news group as it was in those days. And, uh, on that subject. And, uh, so I started following that and yes. And then I realized there was comprehensive book, uh, the called called the Lord Peter Whimsy Companion, mm -hmm. uh, which had vast amounts of information, much much of it very esoteric, lots of stuff that I didn't have, uh, but it wasn't in the kind of though it was not entirely in the kind of explanatory detail that I was giving. Uh, it also was a was a remarkably expensive book. There was a second edition that published, mm -hmm. and that's even remarkably expensiver. Uh, but it can be found on uh, things like abebooks.com mm -hmm. if you really go searching for it. Sure. Um, and uh, so anyway, since that was existed, and uh, since that existed, I carried on for a little while and uh, had a had a, a thread on the on on the website uh, on this discussion group called uh, Notes and Queries, 
And uh, but I decided I gave it up because, as I because they said, uh, I thought that those that this very comprehensive book, uh, which uh, uh, which seemed to make make this rather superfluous that I was doing. Um, I as to as to and it has had remarkably occasionally I get the by the way uh, my name in the Peter Lindsay uh, world is cousin Matthew. Character <laughs> cousin that, Matthew, uh, huh? Cousin Matthew, he is the, the impoverished cousin uh, of Lord Peter, who uh, <laughs> has a sinecure taking care of the uh, updating his family records, mm. anyway. Uh, and gave me a nice motto, but anyway, I, I so it occasionally <clears throat> on long intervals, I'll get a message for cousin Matthew at dadrake.com, but uh, I'll I, I respond. Which never name you call me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, anyway, I decided to do it, and I and I got got involved in other things, and decided that I wouldn't spend time on it anymore. As the possibilities of the future, it's it's an intriguing one. It's flattering to hear this this request, but uh, I don't know what uh, among the various things that are demanding my time, uh, I could actually actually devote to. Uh, in fact, uh, the if you go t- to the website groups.io uh, and do enough searching around it, you can find that, that they have a group called called Lord Peter, one word. And uh, and it's a subscription thing, but there's no fee. You just have to sign on and, and write a letter to the moderator saying that, uh, explaining your interest in it so there's not, so that the spam mode <laughs> doesn't get. Uh, and it's still it's still there, but it's not very active. Mm-hmm. I fa- in fact, announced this. I put a, put up a little announcement on Lord Peter, uh, announcing this that, that this uh, session was up. Oh, oh wonderful! Yay. Wonderful! Uh, yeah, uh, we'll uh, send you uh, the link as well mm-hmm. if you want to. Once the session posts, can um, feel free. It'll be good to do it do it directly once once yeah. it's uh, once, once it's released. We'll put it out. Yeah. Uh, put out the message. Uh, uh, so I think that covers it. Yeah, long answer to your short question. No, so it's awesome. I think you came to Whose Body first of Dorothy Sayers' work, which is her first Lord Peter Whimsey, and then you were fortunate enough to yeah. follow the books more or less in chronic- chronological order. Now, some series, let's say Hercule Poirot, you know, chron- chronology is great, but it's really not essential. What is the chronology doing for for? Uh, Dorothy Sayers' books. Why is why would that be important to follow that that chronology if you could? <laughs> That's a good question. What it reminds me of is that in the uh, in the the C.S. Lewis fans, the the, Nar- the Narnia stories. Mm-hmm. There is a, a long-standing debate. I don't know if it's still alive of whether you should read them in the order in the publication order or the order in which the events took place in Narnia. Yeah, and uh, the. The, the party that I favor is the publication order party because because they they developed in that way. Mm. So uh, and and that's even more so in the uh, in the similar series. There, there are enough character development for a couple of the leading characters that uh, it's it's fun to watch that. And yeah. uh, as I commented to you earlier, I think that the uh, if you haven't read haven't read. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. You haven't read the right ones in the right order, mm-hmm. and in particular, uh, strong poison. 
uh, you get into things that have a lot of background because because the Harriet Main character was introduced in Strong Poison mm -hmm. as a repeating character and a very vexed one, a uh, very vexed question <laughs> for Lord Peter. And uh, and it's easier to understand what's going on with her if you uh, <laughs> if you have read the the first, read them in order. Because okay. it is a progress. Yeah, I appreciated that tip. It was actually uh, the very first uh, Sayers novel I read was Gowdy Night. And I did indeed. I was puzzled by Harriet Vane and what was going on with her. So I love your tip to go <laughs> back right. and, and read uh, her introduction. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing for the listeners uh, listening, we're going to try and post all yes. of the different uh, things that Dan is referring to in our show notes. So if you want to look those up, hopefully you can. Um, I will say, I looked up that Lord Peter um, book that you were referring to, and you're right, it was like two or $300 to purchase mm -hmm. it on eBay. Um, it was out of print. Um, I was able to kind of look through a library copy. Um, it is amazing, but it is a little prohibitive if you don't own the book to try and reference some of these things, especially as it's not organized by book mm, mm -hmm. it's just alphabetical alphabetical by reference and that's which i mean it makes sense right if if references are used in multiple books but i did love your organization where i could look it up by book and then kind of read um your explanations it was so helpful so contextual mm -hmm. um i was wondering as well we talked a little bit about it and your whole family and we said in your bio, your parents had a history um, with being Sherlock fans. And then you got into Dorothy Sayers. Can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of your family culture of mystery? And how did you, how did you come to say Dorothy Sayers instead of, um, you know, following in the vein of a Sherlock Holmes fan? Right. Well, how, yes, how did that come? Um, uh, yeah, it came kind of gradually. Uh, I did. I was, I was a Sherlock Holmes reader in my teens. I was, I occasionally, uh, very occasionally, played this game with my mother in which uh, w one of us would, would read a passage uh, from the from the canon of uh, Sherlock Holmes' works, and the other would, would identify it. Oh, wow. <laughs> That was, that's a game was invented. It was, I guess, uh, uh, introduced by the uh, by the Baker Street Irregulars, and uh, they had that habit of quizzing each other mm -hmm. with, of course, the most obscure references they could find. But that was fun. Um, anyway, I read. I had a pretty good mastery of all the books and read all of all, uh, mostly more than once. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, I ran into some reference to. Uh, to uh, Sayers, so, uh, I was in England for a while, uh, for a long, long vacation in England, and uh, read a lot of books that I picked up there. And one was had was modern, modern, modern history uh, of England, 20th century English history, and uh, we talked about popular popular things like detective stories and like Ag Agatha Christie, and for the people more sophisticated than that, Dorothy L. Sayers, mm -hmm. and uh, eventually. Eventually, when I was home again, I said, well, why don't I just look up that, uh, I recognize the name, in fact, and I, I read a bit of, of Sayers' uh, essay work. Uh, and uh, so I looked it up and found myself at 
whose body, and then and then also found a copy of Documents in the Case, which is not a Lord Peter case, mm. but it's an interesting book. Mm. And uh, and uh, yeah, and then I started when I was in a bookstore, of which there is an abundance in uh, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I would uh, just look to see if anything was on the shelves by Sayers, and that's kind of the process I followed for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, full full sets. Full sets uh, that you can buy now from the uh, from uh, paperback publishers uh, were not were not really not not available at the time. Mm-hmm. Just to pick up what what happened to be on the, mm-hmm. on the shelves at the time. Oh. Um, so in kind of our pre you know pre work conversations or before we recorded, we were you know asking you a bunch of questions, and one of them was what drew you to Lord Peter Whimsey, what drew you to Dorothy Sayers? And I'll say from from my perspective, what draws me um, is in the Nine Tailors, the setting, like, boy, I'm, I am immersed. And I'm blown away by the campanology about, you know, the art of bell ringing and all that I'm learning and all, the more I learn as I'm reading, the more I'm aware of how much I don't know. And then in Whose Body, another thing that really resonated with me, I think, was the PTSD presentation felt really real to me as somebody who has experienced that. And so I, I saw it on the page and thought, wow, I can really connect with this. Sarah, what what draws you? And then I want to hear, um, Dan, from you, what, what it is about, about Sayers. Yeah, there's a couple things. There's a couple things, especially in Nine Tailors. Um, I, I like you, Carolyn, and I, I should say I, I have a background in loving um, sci-fi. And <laughs> one aspect of sci-fi is called world building. Mm. You know, where you kind of develop these elaborate worlds with all the details. You know, think Dune or Foundation or anything like that. Um, the depth of detail that Sarah's went into on this book felt like that only was all real. It wasn't sci-fi at all. It was almost this archaic history that still was so foreign. Um, the other thing about Sarah's, and this is my maybe my own kind of weird tendency, is I could tell she was dropping a lot of jokes. Lord Peter was making a lot of witty comments but I could also tell it was like going over my head <laughs> and um, it, it's you know it happens before I think of a few times in the Simpsons where Lisa Simpson is dropping a joke and I'm like I know that's a joke but I don't get the reference <laughs> so I'll go up and like my tendency is to look it up what was Lisa joking about so it's the mm-hmm. same thing with Lord Peter he was saying a lot of jokes there was a lot of references being dropped but I could feel that I wasn't fully getting them. I could just get that it was a joke. And so that's actually what led me on my looking into trying to figure out the jokes is what led me to Dan's website in the first place. And this is the first time I think that uh, Dorothy Sayers has been compared to um, Matt Groening. I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing. Maybe it is. Yeah. Um, um, that's probably true. Yeah. But, but but Dan, like from your perspective, you know, you, you picked up Whose Body, you read it, and then you wanted more. And then you've you've stuck with it, you've really built this incredible body of knowledge. What is it about Dorothy Sayers? What is it about Lord Peter Wimsey? Well, it's pretty much, there's, you know, a similar uh, similarity here that, uh, 
there is so much so much in it and uh any any Holmes fan is likely to be uh, interested in London of 50 years later mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're getting in this um and yeah and it's plainly you know the fa- the fact that great learning uh is quite unmistakable in the in the in the pages of that mm-hmm. uh and you know and the fact i i my first uh, exposure to lord peter whimsy was again in and uh whose body with his very strange introduction in which he's feels a telephone call from his mother about it <laughs> expresses a delight that we've both got we've got a body in the bath he's singing mm-hmm. uh, uh uh and uh all very strange mm-hmm. uh but anyway i found that that appealing and mm-hmm. of course the thing is not always always fun and sarah took the trouble of putting up of giving him giving him a serious handicap of giving him both a great facility for making witty remarks and a great uh, Bernie Wooster sort of uh, uh, facade and, uh, and and a lot of suffering mm-hmm. and debility. Uh, yeah, there's lots of possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, the the lear- learned uh, atmosphere of the thing uh does appeal to me i have intellectual parents mm-hmm. <laughs> and it rubbed off mm-hmm. one of the things i've noticed you've mentioned sherlock and you've mentioned agatha christie as well and those two in particular um i've noticed you still see a lot of their stories coming around the people are still making movies tv series etc i don't i don't see the same with Dorothy Sayers, she's tended to become much more obscure. And, you know, Carolyn and I have theorized back and forth why that is, but I'd love to hear your opinion on why she's not more known in modern times like some of these other mystery greats. Yeah, I uh, don't know if I can explain that very well, but it, it is not as broad an appeal. Uh, this, is a, this is a person who will stick a letter in French in her yeah. in one of her books, uh, and uh, not apologize for using for using Latin and Greek as mm-hmm. as needed, and uh, you have to be not put not put off by that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I've seen, by the way, her French sounds very good, looks very good to me. So I have seen comments that she's not really very idiomatic, oh. uh, <laughs> uh, not not really good idiomatic French, but. Anyway, I, I could, couldn't tell the difference. I know a good good bit of French myself, and I had fun reading reading the stuff in it. Um, anyway, I, it is it is much less broad appeal. If you start putting mm-hmm. Latin quotations in, there's a the old old uh, publishing uh, 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 rule that if you the first the first footnote that you put in the in a in a, uh, in a book will cost you half your buyers and, uh, <laughs> and the first the first mathematical mathematical equation mm-hmm. you put in will cost lose the, the next half uh, or something like that so, uh, it's like that people don't lots of people don't like reading that kind of stuff and it really really tends to require a degree of education i certainly do not have anything approaching mm-hmm. uh uh 19th century 
education and classics. At least I can kind of know what they are, and usually I know what 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 Latin, and I can look up if there's something in Greek. Uh, uh, so anyway, I think a lot of that is is kind of off-putting to a good segment of the population. I think uh, I think there's a critical mass thing here. If you get enough people who want to follow it, then then you can get a lot long long string of of revivals, and if you don't, then the revivals are going to be thin. <laughs> so it, it might help, like with the nine tailors, to know you might have to work for it a little bit, but it, the reward is immense. So I I know even when I started the nine tailors, you know, um, section one um, is a short touch of Kent Treble Bob Major in parentheses two courses, then you turn the page and you get a number 704 by the course end, 64352, and and so forth. And um, and then you get the first course, which is the first chapter in section one. And right off the bat, you're sort of destabilized as a reader. What is, <laughs> what is happening here? So you know you're entering this foreign world. I mean, from, for those of us who are not familiar with bell ringing, um, you, you're entering this foreign world. So... I found um, for myself, it helped to just embrace that right out of the gate. Like, okay, I've already read a book of hers. I, I enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy this one. So I have to, I have to immerse myself in this world. I just have to follow wherever she leads me and and see. You know, I, I'll figure it out as I go. She will show me what I need to know as I need to know it. Sort of thing. Yeah, yes, that's true. And I frankly <coughs> have. <coughs> See, very little. I never really have under, understood the uh, bell ringing things at all. I never, <laughs> never acquired any real knowledge of it. Yeah. I appreciate difficulty. I appreciate the large number of ways in which you can ring a certain number of bells. Uh, that's elementary math. But, uh, but the difficulties. I simply try to imagine the difficulties of of sitting with a bunch of people in some cold upstairs bell room. Uh, and pulling your bell right in rhythm at the time that, you, the, yeah. that, that your particular bell is needed. There, this, there, is a, there is a whole science of this business. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, you could spend a lot of time studying it. And mm-hmm. the fact that you can, uh, with, with, the, with proper guidance from the person making the, you know, somebody's co- making the calls, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't understand any of the calls. <laughs> so that's no, no use. Uh, uh, anyway, so I, my tendency has been to uh, just okay. The, the bell ringing is there. Take it for granted. Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting dialogue here. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to be become an expert on it. And yeah. uh, I slide past it and still got great enjoyment out of the, of and the then, book. And then ring those bells for nine hours straight. That blew me away. Ooh. That their New Year's peal was nine. Hours. That's more than most work days mm-hmm. with like no break. Well, there was there was some breaks. There was like fifteen minutes here and there where the rector would come, mm-hmm. relieve them. But uh-huh. honestly, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's problematic too. <laughs> what I've read, my first here is the uh, is largely the Lord Peter group. The, it's not really legitimate to have any reliefs. Oh, that. really? Uh-huh. Go continuously go through the uh, through through that that set of uh, uh, of changes, and it's not really it's not really uh, done to mm-hmm. have uh, to have any any replacements. Um, 
Really? But, so uh, that it's unlikely it? that they would have had a replacement. Is a nine-hour peel, is that an actual thing, or was that um, kind of unlikely I as well? Is, I, I, too, find it difficult, the whole thing, very difficult to imagine. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, how can, and especially some old geezer who's still, still pulling the giant bell. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Keeping track of that for that long, uh, I can tell you that's hard to believe. Yeah, right. It was it was amazing to read about. Um, I was impressed with how she was presenting Lord Peter in that light, who I guess had had a history with bell ringing and kind of grew up learning it and was able to step in mm -hmm. at the last minute and and <laughs> fill in for this guy who was had the flu. Yeah. Yes. And for our, our listeners, um, because we know not all of you have read the book, um, you know, The Nine Tailors, when Sarah and I came to the book, sort of expected somebody who was going to mend clothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I first saw it, I was like, why do all the covers have bells on it? Yeah, what is so <laughs> weirdly, similarly thematic and yet nonsensical. Why are all these bells here? Right. So yeah, that's one of the things, one of the very fascinating things you learn. About yeah. It. So there's this old tradition yeah. in small parishes of ringing a church bell to announce a death. Um, so the old say saying is nine tailors maketh a man. And so nine tailors is nine blows uh, on the bell, six for a woman and three for a child. So after a person passes in a small parish, for example, say a man has died, they would ring the bell for um, nine times and then pause, and then they would count out the years of the individual at half-minute intervals. And depending on the size of the village, uh, there's a good chance you would know who had passed by mm -hmm. this information. You would know it was a man, you would know he was 36 or, you know, 72 or 57, what have you, because of the, the bell ringing. So I I had never heard of anything like this before. I thought this was so interesting. It was, yeah. Uh, I really, uh, the whole aspect of the bells and the way they communicated with the whole village about everything, like weddings, funerals, deaths, even at the end when the whole parish is flooded, they had a special ring that called everyone in for emergency procedures and like to bunker down mm -hmm. in the church for the, for the flood. And they, they'd practice that. It sounds like during the war when you were over there, um, did you get to hear any of these bells, Dan, when you were living in England? No, I never, <coughs> I never heard a, a formal peel uh, of the thing they, they describe. I've heard, heard the bells ringing. Mm -hmm. And uh, then again, you know, I couldn't tell one one kind of peel from another mm -hmm. just just from hearing it. So I don't have enough knowledge of it. Uh, I do, do recall uh, one time in when I was there for a period of time, walking by Westminster at one point, Westminster Abbey was having a, a long clatter of bells uh, mm -hmm. for a long period. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was All Saints Day. And uh, and I went into Westminster Abbey and uh, sat in the outside visitor's section through through a, a, an All Saints Day uh, celebration, um, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. It was fun also to sing the, the hymn, which uh, the Anglican hymn, which is to the tune of Deutschland über alles. It's a good tune. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, but uh, anyway, I that, that's the, the, really the extent of it. I've heard people 
ringing the bells and sometimes sometimes very clearly just the same reveal over and over again it's not not a mm-hmm. can't treble bob major that is. <laughs> right well there's not a lot of bell ringers i was looking up um to see I'd, I'd heard a bell concert here in denver once and i was like oh are, are they doing change ringing they weren't <laughs> um, there's not there's not any change ringing in the state of colorado oh. there are some chapters throughout the country but i think in the entirety of north america there were only 61 chapters and a lot of those were handbells um so it's it's definitely a dying art mm-hmm. which yes. makes me sad i don't mm-hmm. know why whenever i find out about sort of these archaic art forms mm-hmm. i want them to to continue <laughs> but yeah. There's none yeah. here in Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> I share the feeling, but uh, it's it's certainly not heard not heard on the West Coast either. No, there was two in California, but they were, I think, just handbells. Wow. There wow. weren't the major change change ringing mm-hmm. um, uh, groups. Yeah. Oh. Um. So, this this book, you know, it's it's fairly complex at times. There's a lot about the art and science, the mathematical science behind um, change ringing. And there's there's this quote in the book, by the English campanologist, the playing of tunes is considered to be a childish game, only fit for foreigners. The proper use of bells is to work out mathematical permutations and combinations. And I thought, oh, this this sounds. The more I get to know Dorothy Sayers, this sounds very Dorothy Sayers, which which I'm increasingly loving. There's also a cipher um, that they're going to solve in this story, which I also thought was fun because I love cryptograms. I love figuring out puzzles and things like that. Um, so. You have read, Dan, all of Sayers' novels, and mostly in order. Um, I mean, are these, is this common in her books? Have you found where she's exploring a topic so deeply in depth that we're sort of learning a new subject matter? Does she have cryptic uh, puzzles in her books like she does? Or is The Nine Tailors sort of an outlier? Is it different than the rest of her books? Uh, no, it's, it's it varies. In fact, <laughs> there in uh, whose whose body, not whose bodies, have his carcass. Mm. Uh, there is a cryptogram used, and uh, Lord Peter introduces us, figures out what kind what was used to encode this message, mm-hmm. and gives us an introduction for for how to how to make and solve a Playfair cipher, cipher, which is its name, mm-hmm. um, and you know gives us a reasonable. Uh, Run through of how how you would uh, decipher such a thing. Mm. Um, so and the, and there is one or two other uh, cryptographic things that I I'm not sure I can think of. Uh, of. But uh, so she had that she picked up to attend to and I have not read it much in, consciously in this uh, approach, uh, but tended to pick up on something and uh, squeeze a lot of mystery and whatnot out of it. <laughs> One, mm-hmm. one subject or another, and uh, uh, that the, the uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, no, okay, never mind. Um, but uh, she, 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 she would do that, and it's of course mm-hmm. one of the interests of her books, and it's also one that you can't does not transcribe very well into movies, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another reason, mm-hmm. and uh, simply does not transcribe 
very well to lots of people who don't want these complexities. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but the the ability to translate something into film really can help with the I think the staying power mm-hmm. of some of these books. You see that with Dashiell Hammett, where he was so cinematic in his writing, and his movies have really come to life on the on the screen, and that's probably not a surprise. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's almost always just dialogue mm-hmm. and action, which you can see in here when there's not a lot of internal. Right. monologue that's a good point mm-hmm. yeah you mentioned the cryptography i'd almost forgotten like how fast i was reading that and i was like mm-hmm. man <laughs> like before the digital age the way people would design these codes it was fascinating mm-hmm. you know so she's using that as a plot point she's using uh, the bell ringing the chain ringing as a plot point mm-hmm. she's using civil engineering and all of kind of the dikes and sluices and whales out in this part of the country as a major plot point she was even using the bottling of beer as (laughs) as like a a complete clue Mm -hmm. you know historically the first beer to be bottled was bass beer and you could only get it at this one place in town and so he was able to track that clue right and it was just like the level of detail was blowing me away of all the things like well I have no idea about any of this Mm -hmm. but it was really fascinating and the geography the the geography is incredible in this book and the weather just you know there's almost like a a biblical you know story happening here we see at the beginning of of the book where um, Lord Peter Whimsey and Bunter are caught in this storm and then, of course, the storm rages at the end of the book. So basically, anytime Lord Peter Whimsy comes into town, there's terrible weather, uh, I think, is the, is the point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, in, it's incredible. The bells come to life to me as if they're characters. The weather seems almost larger than life. It's, it's really fascinating. At times, Lord Peter Whimsy almost takes a back seat to the setting of the book and to the bells, which I, th- I think is really interesting. There are parts of the book where he just disappears. You know, we don't really hear from him or see him, and then he reemerges, but the story is strong enough to, to hold, um, hold tight with even when he's not on the page. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's true. <clears throat> and uh, there's, there, there's another... There's another coding thing I don't know in the in the books, but I don't remember it very clearly. But there's there's also a, you know the, the she set herself on one occasion to do a uh, a classic uh, uh, tr- train timetable. Oh. It's not one of her most popular ones. <laughs> yeah, the, the Scottish scenery that she paints in it is good fun. Yeah. The, the making fun of the Scots in a good-humored way uh, is good fun. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah. And, and, in, and in fact, that that book has a has one of these author thought thumbing her nose at you, saying, mm. "Do you do you do you know what what?" What Peter Whimsey detected detected the lack of <laughs> the, 
And, and it was about the only time I've, I've answered such a question and realized what it was. <laughs> oh, so wow. I don't think I want to give a spoiler for that. But no, anyway. no, no. Don't spoil uh, it. Uh, yeah. She does, but she does pick up and, as I say, the, the, she did a classic, in fact, it's the same one, it's the same book, a classic uh, train timetable working mm. out. And I just, again, I, I just have no patience for that. I, I, I flip the page of watching watching what's, what the action is and mm. uh, go, good, Lord Peter Whimsy figures it out. Uh, it's a, the solutions, of course, are all as clever and uh, entertaining and acted out in a nice way as they are in, in that story. Yeah. Well, that kind of surprised me, though, about you, Dan, given that you have such a mathematical background, when Sayers kind of gets mathematical like that, you're like, nah, <laughs> I'm not super interested in that. Uh, tell me about that. How, how does your mathematical and scientific background kind of intersect, or does it, um, with your love of mystery and uh, Sayers in particular? It doesn't particularly um, uh, actually, some of, some of my diligence in looking things up and so on comes out of the non-mathematical part of my education. Mm. Uh, Reed is a place that's famous for uh, smart kids, uh, unruly, un radical uh, and unruly and frequently rioting kids that you'll <laughs> find that they, they had a scandal in the past year, I think, about that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, something that made the papers, and in fact, what I read about was said was something that said that made the papers <laughs> i miss it um uh, but uh they also you know it's all it's a liberal arts college with a whole lot of very strong science uh, hmm. uh, uh, uh stress but you all take the first year freshman humanities course of other people call it western civ and it has changed somewhat in its nature now <laughs> but uh, the and, and that, that is you know introduction to serious scholarship and scholarship is useful regardless of your field. Right. Uh, I learned about respect for going to original sources and finding out what mm -hmm. it is. You can't do that on Wikipedia. You do original research and they knock you off. But uh, <laughs> there are reasons for that. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, so I got a, a taste for that kind of thing. Plus, uh, plus my father was not, was uh, had two careers. His first one was as a financial analyst, in which he was successful. And then he throw it over to uh, to take up a professorship in the history of science mm. at a respectable university. Hmm. And uh, unusual midlife career change. Yeah. But he it up by, by years of spending all his spare time uh, uh, researching stuff in his, in his field mm -hmm. and uh, built himself to such an expert that he could get a job at it. <laughs> uh, that was an interesting thing to see. To see. Mm -hmm. But so I, I have I have that 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 uh, acquisitive and inquisitive nature mm -hmm. of uh, picking up on sources, etc. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, in in our conversations, you were dropping so many little gems um, prior to this about all all of the things that you're kind of involved with in the Sayers world. I want to I want to jump into that um, a little bit more. We are almost at time for this episode, unbelievably. Um, <laughs> but hopefully, Dan, uh, you'll be able to join us for a second episode and we'll get to talk a little bit more about your deep involvement and in all of I'd, these serious things. I'd be very pleased to be able to do that. This Wonderful. Is very enjoyable. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, cool. Well, uh, Sarah, 
Carolyn and our listeners. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Dan, stay tuned or skip <laughs> to the next episode. Um, however, you want to take your podcast and we are going to ask him uh, a lot more questions about Dorothy Sayers and Peter Wemsey um, and get his expertise on this. And until then, stay mysterious. <laughs>